Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, friends of failure, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here with Pellegrino Riccardi. Beautiful. How far off was I? I know I wasn't close. Cool. I've never heard my name said with an Italian Kansas accent. (laughs) Well, I mean, I should be. So I'm from Boston originally. I should have a Boston accent, but I think I just try to have no accent because the Boston accent doesn't come across. I'm not that good with American accents, but I can certainly hear a sort of a Southern twang in your voice, right? I think I'd went for generic newscaster newscaster voice because I wanted to not have a Boston accent. So Boston would be like, if you wanted to say, let's go to Bar Harbor and have a few beers. Yeah, then it would be. It'd be, let's go to Bar Harbor, have a few beers. All right. <laughs> they really drop all the R's. They in- increase all the in- unintelligenceness of it. You know, it's like, uh, so sorry, everybody from Boston. I didn't realize until I left that people wanted me to sound like I was from Boston. But when I was there, I felt like I should have sounded like something else. So I think I kind of avoided it. But I, I'd say I have a generally Midwest accent, which is where I'm at. So it makes sense. Okay, maybe. All right. Hope I didn't offend anyone by saying Southern twang there. I just offended all the people from back in Boston where I'm from by saying it was a dumb way to talk. So, you know, I'm, clearly I don't care. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. We're thick skinned, at least over in Boston. So cool. can you get, so this is what I have people do, frankly, because I don't like doing research, but I've actually done some research on you, but I'm still going to have you do what I make everyone else do, which is to give yourself a shameless brag or a humble self-promotion or just tell all the cool things that you've done so that. Yeah, absolutely when we deflate you with the failure stuff, <laughs> you already pumped yourself up at least. Cool. Yeah, no problem. Um, as the name suggests, my parents are Italian. They're from Napoli, Naples. They moved to the UK in the 1960s looking for work because they were really hungry, literally really hungry. I grew up in the UK. I worked as a teacher for many years. I had a side hobby, which was playing music, playing drums in a band, which turned into my profession. The band got asked to tour with U2 in 1993, so that we did that. That was cool. And during those tours, I met a woman who was Norwegian, and I ended up moving to Norway in the mid-90s, and I've been there ever since. So I'm basically Italian, British, Norwegian. And today I work as a keynote speaker, talking to people from stages about various subjects, and what they all have in common is interaction between human beings. I'm really always have been really fascinated by how we human beings interact with one another. And one particular branch that um, I'm known for in Norway is the cross-cultural aspect, you know, talking across nationalities. This is not just about language, you know, the way, the way we interact with each other has bring up some pretty interesting dynamics. Yeah. I think you said, uh, yeah, human beings are the hardware and the culture is the software is what I heard you say in another podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Can you expand on that? And also in the same in the same exact answer, can you also... Yeah, you know, we all basically have the same bodies. Can you also tell me what what makes a keynote speaker a keynote speaker? The, the word is now lost on me as to what it means besides an important person. Yeah. But could you give me both that and the hardware software thing? Yeah, very simple. It's very simple. In the good old days, I used to do courses, workshops that were five days long, three days long, and then it just got shorter and shorter, not because I wanted, but because the clients did. They would say, can you do it in a day? Can you do it in a half a day? And you're thinking, no, not really. 
but you do it anyway, otherwise you don't get the job. Can you do yeah. it in an hour? Listen, could you do it in, and finally get down, could you do it for 18 minutes for TED? So it's a basically forced condensation of teaching. Okay. So I became quite good at that, you know, and, and then you have to be really simple to the point. It needs to be practical. They need to be able to use it. And then businesses started catching on and then they start paying you more money for it. And then it's all good, isn't it? So that's what keynote speaking basically is. So it sounds like it's like stand-up comedy, but easier because the bar for comedy is so low. Yeah, yeah. That's a really cool way to put it. I often refer to myself as an edutainer, which is a mixture of entertainment and education. But it's really important they learn something, eh? Mm -hmm. But uh, no, I could never do stand-up. It's way too hostile, isn't it? You could, actually. I know you could because you got to go up and bomb. That's the only thing you got to do is go up and mess up a bunch. Oh, yeah, like that, yeah. <laughs> and you don't mind uh, flexing that resiliency muscle, right? Yeah, yeah. I know where we are, the failure guy. That, but I tell you what, bombing on stage, is that's a really lonely place to be. That's a really lonely place to be. Because so like I was saying, with band, business meeting, stand-up comedy, they're not expecting it. So they're already depressed in their seats. With a comedy show, they're signing up to laugh. And every time you don't make them laugh, you are dying inside. That's where I can't deal with it. Yeah. Right. You couldn't do it? I'll tell you what, we, one of the gigs we did with you two in 93 was in mm -hmm. Portugal. Most of the time it went really well because they're not there to see you. They're there to see you too, right? Yeah. In Portugal, they'd waited 10 years and they didn't want to wait 10 years and 30 minutes more. And the, and the first 20, 30 rows of an 80,000 crowd started throwing food and water at us. That's a lot of food and water, man. I'll tell you what, the lead singer was, <laughs> he got really good at dodging stuff. I'm at the back, I'm the drummer. They can't get, they can't reach me. Well, most of it doesn't. And that's, that was a real bomb. Horrible. What was the name of the band? The band was called Utah Saints. And we were a techno rock band of the 90s. And when we played in... Uh, you want to make it difficult for everybody to remember your name? What was it? Utah Saints? <laughs> Utah Stains. Yeah. Saints. Oh. No, Saints, yeah. Saints. And when we played in Utah, they thought we'd called our band after them. They loved it. Okay, got it. Mm -hmm. So Utah Saints? Yeah. That's confusing. Check it out, man. I mean, just because there's, well, because I, I, for many reasons, I don't get it, but I'm sure you guys got it. And uh, clearly you two got it, right? It was the 90s, man. That's a long time ago. 1990. Well, they were like alphabetically, they're behind us. They're UT. We're, we're the U number. So U2. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Yeah. U2. UT. <laughs> how'd you get that deal? How'd you uh, guys get hooked up with them or how'd you meet them? I can't remember now. Probably had the, a common management team or something like that. They, I don't know. I can't remember. It's, it's too long ago. No worries. I've forgotten more of my life than I remember, probably. But uh, yeah. so was the Norway thing only because of the woman? That's what I heard. Basically, yeah. Basically, I went to Norway. Well, yeah. Uh, and also because it was a new opportunity, right? I mean, jokes aside, I'm mm -hmm. a yes man, which means I say yes to things I should probably say no to. Because I'm actually not afraid of jumping into the deep end and bombing. Most of the time, I would say I don't, if I'm honest. But I do mm -hmm. many times make mistakes and... That was one of those things where you say, God, when is this, is this ever going to happen again? I'm going for it. So I did. I jumped in. You've actually made me want to go to Norway because I, I didn't realize just, well, I trust way too many people. Do you? And you're saying that they're very trusting over there. So meaning. They are actually. My trust wouldn't be lost on them. Right. 
You know what? Norway scores one of the highest in the world. Uh, you know, the statement, do you believe that most people can be trusted? Mm. That's, a, that's a question that's put around the world. And Norwegians, most Norwegians say yes. Some would call it being naive. It's a really high trust. I've almost had it beaten out of me by just experience of people not being trustworthy, but I still <laughs> stick with it to my own dis- demise. <laughs> but listen, I'll tell you what. Uh, yeah, no, I t- no you're, it's, not a, it's not stupid, actually, because I've traveled the world for 30 years now, been all over the world. And my conclusion is that the vast majority of people are actually good. They want to do good things. Mm-hmm. There's a minority, thankfully, who don't. But people don't wake up in the morning, look out the window, you know, see a beautiful day and say, whose life can I fuck up today? They don't do that. Yeah. But those kind of people will be injecting themselves into your life, whereas the other ones are just living their own life separately. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And that means that you're going to get burnt sometimes. Yeah. But you want to live your life constantly on the lookout to being cheated or, or do you want to live your life a bit more open? Well, so I do trust falls from the mountaintop is what I call it. I try to make them trust them real quick, real early. And then if, and then I know if I can't or not, because I can't deal with the long, the long game. That, that's an, yeah, that's, that's a really good approach, isn't it? You find out really quickly. I say that as well in business. I say, you know, but I do, at least by being naive, you, they show their real cards. They show their true, true colors. Yeah. I give them one opportunity real quick that they can really screw me over. If they take that one. Yeah. I'm done. Right. And it's usually a, something that's not going to hurt me that much, you know? Do it early and let do it cheap. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Makes a lot of sense. Like, here's my bank details. By the way, there's a negative balance. So good luck. <laughs> <laughs> but then, then you see what they're trying to do. Not that that's a bad example, but, you know, something like that. Where uh, yeah, I try to yeah, yeah, yeah. try to coax out the sneaky so that I don't have to deal with it. Or something like that. Or even cross-culturally, since it's on topic. Sometimes I'll spend, no offense to the area of the world I'm in, uh, 20, 30 minutes talking to somebody and then I'll find out they're racist that far into it. And I'm like, geez, just cause we're both white. I had to wait that long. Couldn't you just give me a little warning so I didn't have to waste my time? Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing about people. The more you get them to talk, the more they leak. I talk information leak. They leak stuff about themselves. Right. Oh yeah. And you can actually find out a lot by being, mm-hmm. because being naive and trusting is actually quite disarming. Yes. People can't help themselves. Right. Right. They can't help themselves. They just sort of open up. Mm-hmm. And they're used to people not letting them talk. So then they don't know what to do at that point. Exactly. Right. I think so. Just ask them questions and let them talk. That's it. And then just start leaking information, really useful information about who they really are. Back to well, software. That's why alcohol is good because alcohol screws up the software. Yeah. Alcohol is the virus. That's the Trojan, right? Coming into your software and, and, and messing it all up yeah it's good though and then you defrag it after a while exactly just to figure out where things should be going and also absolutely beat the thing up a bit you know make sure it's right. worth its weight and hardware yeah 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 absolutely. or wherever we're going with this metaphor but i i do like what you're saying about it clearly there's multiple levels of software culture would be one of them you know there's more basic and higher level things or whatever but do you know of any cheat codes to update your software earlier when you're going to a new country or something like that? Cheat code? Um, well, yeah, there is a cheat code, and that is to here's what you don't do. You don't you don't learn all the do's and don'ts of in that country. You go in there with an open, curious mind, ask questions, and just watch. Watch people. You know, watching people gives you so much information. 
just watch. Keep your mouth shut for a while and just watch and listen and ask questions. And people give you what you need. That's my biggest cheat. That's my biggest cheat with people. Just watch them and ask questions. I think, I think today it's all about opinions, isn't it? I mean, you know, here we are on a podcast. You're asking me for my opinion. What do you think? And, but basically we're so, it's all about what I think. Listen to me. This is what I think. How about turning around and saying, what do you think? That's what I'm trying to do. So you, you asked me before we got in here why I did this. And I didn't do it for this reason. But once I started doing it, I realized that if I'm doing a podcast, I have to listen to what they're saying intently, mm-hmm. which is a struggle of mine. I have ADHD. Uh, so like actually listening to somebody without interrupting, not easy for me. Mm. Not mumbling was something I had to, to get better at. If I'm recorded and I have to edit everything, if I'm saying ums and uhs and stuff, that mm. hurts me every time I do it wrong. And just being intentional with someone's time and trying to get information out of them in a way that's yeah. useful to other people. So meaning a lot of that yeah. stuff is ma- mainly, you've said you've done this in different ways, but I forget what context, but I use it as almost like a, a self-help exposure therapy kind of thing to get me to do the stuff that I'm not great at. And what you're doing is you're being mindful. I think you did something similar when you went to Norway, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're being mindful about it is right, right? You're actually sort of aware of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Most people aren't aware of what they're saying and how they're saying it. They simply are not aware. And I want to brand myself as the failure. So I'm not even trying to talk down. I'm trying to get ahead of me talking down to somebody by saying (laughs) I'm the worst. So here's like something I found out while being the worst. But I mean, truly, obviously, there are people who have it much worse than I do. But I want to Mm. be not looking at as I'm coming down from my high horse, but just came out from underneath the the hooves, you know. So Mm. one thing you did tell me that I can't let go of in my mind is, so I used to be, when I was in high school, I was the president of the nursing home club, Cedar Glen Nursing Home. And there was a, a woman named Kay there and she was from Provincia de Cartensado in Napolitano, Italy, is what she'd always say. Really? Don't know if that's even a place. I just know what she said over and over. So does that ring a bell? Provincia de Cartensado? Provincia di? I think so. The last word there. Yeah, Provincia di, and what was the last part? Cartanzaro. Cartanzaro? I think so. So I'm, re- I'm recreating what I heard a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if it is Cartanzaro, that's a little further south, but it's in the right part of Italy, I would say. There's a good old southern part of Italy where the real Italians are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah? What's your favorite part of Italy? <sighs> you know, it's going to sound cliche, but Italy's, it's just all great. I take my family to Italy on holidays because I'm a bit biased. We tried other countries in Europe, also very nice. But my kids always say, let's go back to Italy. There's something about it. Mm-hmm. Probably the people, there's a kind of a, a manner to the people. They're just sort of warm and it's just cool. Beautiful places to visit. You've got mountains, sea, all kinds of scenery. It's really compact. Yeah. And a lot of different cultural pockets for your, you like the cultural stuff. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the cultural pockets. Too. And then you've got all these, you know, even though it's a small country, you've got huge differences within that country, just like you have in the United States, you know, huge differences in the States. But in a much smaller area. So but in a much smaller area, which is Europe. I mean, Europe is like that anyway. It's very compact and very diverse. But uh, Italy, my favorite part has to be the, the, the South. There's just something about it. It's just earthy and the people are really down to earth and... 
I love it. And, and it's one of the things I talked about in my book, actually, about the hillbilly southerners. Hmm. You know, I talk this old redneck hillbilly. There's loads of them in the south of Italy. My family grew up. They are hillbillies. They're rednecks. And I say that in a descriptive way. There's no value attached to that, right? Sure. What hillbilly people are like self-sufficient, no airs and graces, keeping your head under the radar, the government radar. You know, if, if they can't find you on the, on the computer, that's you've succeeded type of thing. You're just living your life, mm-hmm. doing your own thing, yeah? That's the environment my parents grew up in, and that's where I go back to every year. It's one of the things I wrote in my book about in my book, because I want people to know about that side of Italy. It's not all... Yeah, Italy is not just, you know, sort of, uh, you know, dandy men walking around in these urban areas, Mm -hmm. George Clooney with his nice house in the lake in the north. It's quite earthy, yeah? Yeah. There are some real earthy people there, and, you know, I want people to know about that as well. Well, what's the name of your book, though? Just so people don't wonder till the end. (laughs) Yeah, the book is called Drowning Quietly, Memoir of a Man's Shortcomings. How about that? Really chirpy title, but it's got lots of chirpiness in the book. I like that. And uh, I guess people are going, why drowning quietly? I was thinking that, but I also answered it, I think, in my head. So let me tell you what I thought is, because you probably tell people a lot. Tell me, yeah, you tell me what, what it wants to do. Tell me. I think it's like uh, being too polite and not wanting to make a fuss, even though you're drowning and gasping for air and, and basically having the life taken away from you. Yeah, and what 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 and if it's a book about men, what are we drowning in, right? So we're drowning in the fact that we can't express ourselves very well. So while instead we keep it up inside, you know? Yeah, well I've I've never been to Italy. I have been to Ireland twice. I'm ninety-four percent Irish or something like that. My Irish Catholic family, we never talked about our feelings once, I don't think ever, still to this day. So there you go. And Italians don't talk about it even more. That's a double negative. You know what I'm saying? You're just louder with not talking about it. <laughs> we just do it louder. Yeah, correct. We just talk about, we don't tell you, but we don't tell you louder <laughs> and more arms. <laughs> yeah. And better food. We just uh, keep it in until it explodes one day and we don't know why and or what it was. Well, that's exactly a main theme in my book, exploding, right? Because mm. one of the emotions we are allowed to use, men, is anger. Anger's cool. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, am I allowed to talk about the slap? Am I allowed to talk about that? The Hollywood slap last week? Can I, yeah. Is that a question? Oh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, please do. I never talk about anything that is uh, topical or anything, so please do. You don't. You don't. Should I or should I leave it? Meaning I don't even think of doing it. So go ahead. I'm saying we might as well talk about something that happened. because So for everyone who's listening, depending on when it comes out, we're talking about Will Smith and Chris Rock, of course. So go go ahead. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Which is just going to give me so much material for my talks. First of all, (laughs) I feel sorry for both. That's Mm. the first thing. Let me explain why. First, Chris Rock was a stand-up guy for taking it on the chin and kind of just staying cool. But if Chris Rock had read Will Smith's biography, Will, he would never have made a joke about any woman in Will Smith's life. Why? Because Will Smith, his, his... Basically, his what will trigger a psychotic reaction in Will Smith is the fact that as a child, he watched his mother be beaten by his father and he feels guilty to his core that he never stood up and defended her. So if anyone's going to attack a woman around him now, he's going to defend her. I don't think he even realized what he did. I think he had an out-of-body experience. He went up there, he did his thing, he went back and sat down and just thought, 
what have I just done? I'm sure he's truly sorry. What's amazing is that I've never thought about that, but I've I experienced the same thing. So I didn't read his book because I don't read books. I listen to books. Even when I listen to books, I don't listen to Will Smith's books. So my point is, I didn't know any about that, anything about that. But my mom went through the same thing. She was verbally and physically, you know, assaulted in front of me. Right. And if anyone said anything about your mother. Well, I don't feel that way about her. It's about the women in my life because she never showed me love in a way. Sorry, mom, if you're listening. But she never showed me it in a way that I could show her back. So I probably redirected it towards whoever I was with and defended them, which is what he's doing. So now I'm getting his side of it from you through me. Yeah, yeah. But you ahead. see, that talk about the software. That yeah. basically screwed up his software. And it, he can't help himself. Mm-hmm. He, he calls himself a coward in that book multiple times. I am a coward. So it's as if he's trying to rectify, put right all his cowardly acts of all his life by going, uh-huh. because he doesn't do anything until he sees the reaction of his wife, right? She looks at him with that look and up he goes. He's looking at her for, for the, the sign. Yeah. He goes up. He says, he just comes out. I'm a coward. I'm a coward. I'm not going to be a coward. He goes up and defends her. Whether that's right or wrong, I'm not here to judge that, but. It's a very predictable action. And, and Chris Rock should have done his research a bit better. He wouldn't have done that. It's got nothing to do whether, you know, all these discussions um, out there, whether you can, can you joke about anything? You know, is it right? It's nothing to do with that. He can't help himself. It is like sticking your hand in a beehive. Well, come on. Hold on. I'm going to push back here. Can Chris Rock help himself as much as a comedian? So, he, I would assume if he didn't read, if he didn't read Will Smith's book either, which I didn't also, uh, he well, might have just thought this guy's uh, a list celebrity. He should be able to take a small, stupid joke about G.I. Jane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If I was given that joke, I would have probably been like, oh, that's great because she's more buff than I am. But, <laughs> but it's got nothing to do with G.I. Jane. I get that he's connecting it to his wife's thing. Yeah, exactly. I know. Listen, so, if you're walking over a, if. If you're walking over a field of landmines and there's a landmine in front of you, are you going to step on it or are you going to step around it? But if you don't know it's there, like Chris Rock didn't know it was there, probably. Good point. Fair enough. Because because Will Smith could have prepared and been okay with Will, with Chris Rock's jokes. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. If you'd have known that, yeah. Yeah, if either one of them. I'm saying if either one knew where the other one was coming from, they wouldn't have done that. It wouldn't happen. But also, I think Chris Rock had to do the most work in that moment to get over it quickly, you know? He did great, actually. He held himself together really well. He did really well, actually. I got to hand it to him. Because it easily could have exploded in a different he way. Could have, he could have exploded, and he could have come back with a with a tongue. We, he's got a sharp tongue as well. He could have said something, but he didn't. He was cool. He almost did. He said like he was like, and I could, and then he just didn't do it. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I could, but I won't. Yeah, I won't. You know. So he was cool, but he already did the math. <laughs> he didn't know the landmine was there. But Will Smith couldn't help himself. He really can't help himself. Yeah. Right? I mean... It's just autopilot. You could add security there. Whoever else read the book nearby. I mean, there's a lot of solutions. Apparently, he doesn't have his lines checked, though, Chris Sock. He refuses to have anyone... You know, the difference between him and Ricky Gervais... Ricky Gervais... Well, he said already, I wouldn't have joked about her. I would have joked about her boyfriend, he said. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which I thought was funny. But, But... but um, Ricky Gervais has all his questions uh, checked, lawyered up. You know, he makes sure that he can't get it done for anything. Plus, he's a, I think he's 
he's hilarious the way he does it too and and he'll do the he's great he's a bit more intelligent no offense yeah. he's got a mind that's just way up there yeah 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 and he so yeah he would think through the fact that i got to make sure this is defendable or defensible you know his his comedy is like uh cuz i'm sure that he, earlier on in his career he wasn't as as tight with it but now he's got to, he knows after the whole golden golden globes and everything that he needs to make sure that no he's he's really t- Brilliant, brilliant. He can't be, he, well, he can still be digging. People yeah. don't know that he's doing it in an intelligent way to, to avoid no. repercussions, you know? Exactly. But it's interesting, the last thing about Will Smith, it's interesting that it's his failure mm-hmm. or his perception of his own failures that triggered that reaction. I think that's true about a lot of us. So, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. I say all the time, I can't do any handyman stuff. I'm like a footy man. I can't do anything that's like of a, you know, fixing a car or whatever, you know, whatever stereotypically manly thing I tell myself I can't. And then therefore I never do. And I also just pay someone else to do it. But if I tried, well, I just pay someone who's good at it to do it. That's a bit different. Yeah. But I mean, I could do it. I tell myself I can't do it. I'd still pay for it either way. Oh, like, (laughs) but um, I, I could do it. Oh No, I just, I just admit to myself really early that I actually can't do it. I can't. I just don't, we don't want to do it is what we're saying. What I'm saying, what you're saying, <laughs> the thing is the same thing is we don't want to learn how to do it. So we'll just no, say we no, can't. No, no, no. I got time for it. Yeah. But anything stereotypical like that, manly, I tend to just bow out of it. And I think it's because of either I associated with the stepdad who was abusing her as being that. Cause even like with, right. when you're talking about you, we can be mean or we can be angry. I learned you can cry if it's a movie. And so I, I would cry much more during movies than I do regular life. And I'm like, well, what? it's obviously because I saw him crying during a movie only ever, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's like, okay, now you have permission in this scenario, you know, kind of like we have permission to be mad all the time, I guess. Here's a question for you then. Which movie, which movie makes you cry the most or made you cry the most? It doesn't even matter. I guess there's so many that there's I can. Anything. If there's anything remotely cryable, that's what I call leaking. Is when I start crying yeah. during a movie. Yeah, you say it's leaking, leaking out yeah. information. Yeah, it's that's what yeah. I say because I don't like. I'm not sobbing. I'm just leaking and then overflowing with emotion. Mm-hmm. Probably because of whatever it's happening, I relate it to my real life, but I'm living it through the movie, so I get to displace it all onto the screen. So what's the last film that made you do that? I I mean I even watched a interview with Richard Feynman the scientist just talking to the camera. So, and I cry because I think of my grandfather wow. and stuff like that, but meaning he's, he's so smart and also like intelligent things can make me cry just cause like unlocking yeah, yeah. new knowledge is like overwhelming sometimes. That is really interesting actually. Yeah. I wonder what it's, so it's just like an emotional reaction. This is so cool, right? Yeah. Because I mean, what you were saying about the software, it's like when you, it's kind of like plugging into the matrix thing and you get like all of a sudden all the karate stuff or whatever. It's like you get, if you, if you get a really good insight from somebody who spent their life doing something in a specific field and you're like, Oh, I get that now. Mm. So for example, he talks about jiggling atoms and how everything is jiggling atoms. And if you talk about like a, a cup of coffee and it's really hot, the only reason that it's hot is because there's so much activity going on at the very small microscopic mm. level of atoms jiggling around and in something as cold as a lot less jiggling until the point they're, they're basically still and things like that throughout the entire thing. It's like an hour long thing where he just talks about, he calls it the pleasure of finding things out. And it's just, 
he just keeps riffing on all these things because he's done so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a word for that, actually. We have a word for that. Awe, A-W-E, being in awe of something, realizing what it, you know, wow, is that how it works? Yeah. Do you have, I don't know, do you have kids? No, do you have kids? No, I've been a fake stepdad a couple of times. All right. Meaning no real power, but dealt with kids. Because having kids gives you that awe. You know, it's a bit weird when they're born. I've got three kids, and I always remember the first one when he was born, it was really weird. Uh, yeah, I have not experienced the what it's like to have a kid also. I'm the fourth. This thing with moving arms and legs. Yeah, and it breathes on its own. I'm the fourth. My dad's the third. My grandmother was just on the podcast, and I didn't even release the last 15 minutes because she's just guilting me into having a kid the whole time. No. And saying how easy it is to have a kid. I'm like, Nana. I know you just want me to have a kid, but you can't tell everybody it's easy to have a kid when they're all struggling and they're listening and they're not trying to convince their grandkid at the moment to have a kid. So I didn't put most of that in, but, but yeah, it's, I know if I did have a kid, I would feel that thing, but I don't know how to know what that feeling is without right, having one. Right. But you get it, right. You get it. It's like, mm-hmm. it's an amazing thing, really. It's really like, wow, that's life. So before you had a kid, what was the most, what was the closest thing to that feeling that you'd felt? Or that was probably, I've had lots of moments in nature. I'm a, I'm a biker, love biking. So off-road biking, road biking. And I can, I can be doing some biking, get to the top of some ridge and just, just look over and think, God, this is, this is really cool, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is, I think nature's, and that was one of the reasons for coming to Norway. It's full of amazing nature, unbelievable nature, right? Absolutely. So I, I lived in Colorado for seven years before I moved here. I've only been here for about a year. So Colorado was just overloaded with amazing nature stuff. So, and especially compared to Boston in terms of mountains and other awe-inspiring, you know, ginormous things. Uh, it was, it was a really great place to be able to live because you're so close to a lot of that stuff. And so I imagine Norway is like that, but even a little bit more extreme except uh, with cooler, nicer, friendlier, happy people. Absolutely. It's a lot cooler, not all year round, but uh, a lot of the year round. And it, I, I did, I did a flight yesterday actually over the central plateau in Norway, and it just <laughs> my nose was just stuck to the window. I've seen it thousands of times. It just blows your mind every time. I don't know what it is. What is it? I don't know. I was picturing you being frozen to it because of your snot. No, on the inside. No, it's pretty warm on the inside. <laughs> but, okay, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You're you're just in awe. <laughs> I remember going to Can- uh, to China from New Jersey and we went over the Arctic and the windows got all icy. So that's what I was picturing. Go, right? Oh, right. Yeah. I hate flying too. So I, uh, I have like a really bad fear of flying. So that trip to China, it was like get blackout, drunk, pass out, wake up, sober up. And I have a hangover and it's still like eight hours of flying. And I'm like, kill me now. Cause I don't even know. Hey, you'd fit in well in Norway. That's, that sounded like a Norwegian weekend. actually. Well, yeah, but it, it, you're not in the chair in the sky and it does end, you know, at some point, but I was just white knuckling it for the last part of it. But, uh, I love traveling. I just hate flying. And it limits your options, isn't it? It's kind of necessary though, if you want to go anywhere. So I've been to Europe, but then we would like train all over the place. We didn't go to Italy <laughs> because of that. We kind of stayed up in a more of a circle. Yeah, yeah, I've always wanted to check out Italy. I've heard great things. I um, at some point I'm going to go over there. But I also I think I might want to move. Are we are we banned? Americans banned forever from Europe now, or can we get in there? No. Why? Why? Because of COVID. I just feel like no one wants us anymore. Because of who knows what. Oh, like that? <laughs> That's rubbish. That's rubbish. No, I don't know where you get that image from. 
You know, when the first time I did, I came to the States was with that band. We toured the States twice, actually. Mm-hmm. In a bus, the good old classic tour bus. I loved it. I met loads of really cool people. I met loads of weird people as well. Of course, we export entertainment. We don't export ourselves that much. Yeah, but we weren't just meeting people in the entertainment industry. We were meeting real American, you know, Americans, North, yeah. South, East, West, Midwest, everywhere. I was generally pleasantly surprised because I had this image of Americans being, you know, a pain in it, you know, you know how it goes. Tell me. I don't know how it goes. I don't know. I'm not sure I know. And they weren't. They weren't. They weren't. No, they weren't. <laughs> what, what, what are we? I love that. I, I don't know the perception. I'm from America. No, but I love that kind of small talk. Have a nice day. How's it going? I love it. You know, some people call it the oil of it's like oil in the daily in your day, isn't it? It makes the machinery of a daily grind go a bit better. Having people around you with that. Well, so the cultural pockets we're talking about in Boston, you can't ask anybody where the what the, the directions are to go somewhere because they don't want to talk to you. They're in their own world. They're like head down. I'm in my own thing. If you're in the South, can't get away from somebody they won't stop talking to you so like there's very different cultural norms and stuff now why is that i've got my theories about that climate tells us a lot about the way people right it's climate for sure part of it so we're like you're not going to stop and chat when you got a wind coming down from newfoundland freezing your ass off right that combined with then you're doing some desk job that you hate and they're going to be mad if you're late or whatever so like there's just whatever stacking stresses and climate stuff whereas in the south they're a little bit more you know, relaxed with, well, they have the better weather and then they're more relaxed on like, you know, timing and stuff like that. And in warmer climates, you've got easier access to food, mm-hmm. which grows generally all the year, year round. You've got less pressure. Which means you're, yeah, you're more likely to be sociable. You're more relaxed. Whereas in the North, in Norway, the same, you, you've got a very small window in the year to get all your food in, yeah. harvest it and save it and ration it out to keep you alive during the winter. You haven't got time to talk. And if you have an abundance of food, you want to share it with people too. So you'd want right. to talk with the other people you're sharing it with. Exactly. Which makes Italians Italian. Especially in the South. Especially in the South. My and my family are all farmers. You know, my sister has she has a she has a cherry tree in a garden and a and an apple tree. And she's like, go and get some tomatoes for the salad. Just around the back. It's great, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not pop down the shop. I forgot to buy the I forgot to buy the tomatoes. Yeah, and they're like gross, terrible tomatoes. Can you go and get some? Can you go and get some lettuce. Just pop around the garden in the back and get me a lettuce to It's great. I love it. To me, that's like magic, though. That's amazing. That's all. I mean, it is magic. That's like. But we've forgotten the magic, magic, and then we've given the magic away to other corporations and stuff. But now we're like, you can't eat that. It's from the ground, <laughs> basically. You know, and we're like, damn it, that's where it's coming from. Are you. So we're supposed to be but from, right? That's how we, I mean, if you don't grow up with even a, a community garden or whatever, growing mm. a little bit of vegetables, you don't know how a lot of it works. But the people in the Midwest where I'm at, though, they're the, you know, they'll have the farms and stuff. They'll know what's up. So it's like a give and take, you know. I might have known a lot more about software, like literal software and technology and stuff, but how to grow anything in the ground, I'm screwed. If there, if my father was a bit, Go ahead. My father was a big grower of things. He's still doing it now, actually. Oh yeah. He took that. Yeah, he took that 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 hobby tradition. Is that a title? A grower of things. A grower of things. Yeah, yeah. You know, all kinds of garlic, tomatoes, 
cabbage, carrots. He just grows things. He hates buying stuff in the shops. Got to be grown, man. Yeah, it's better than gardener, a grower of things. I like that. He grew you up. <laughs> he did. He did. That's cool. So you're in Norway. How long have you been in Norway now? How many years is it? 27 years. Oh, nice. So, so almost, almost half my life. That's the 27-year club right there. Kirk Cobain and all them. Yeah, it goes really quickly as well. How old? I didn't ask how old you are. I'm 37. Can I, can I ask how old you are? You can ask anything you want. I'm 37. 37. Last, as of last month, yeah. I'm 20 years older than you now. Exactly 20 years older. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Goes really quickly. That's also awe-inspiring. That it goes really fast. So what's weird to me is like someone who's 10 years younger than me. Yeah. I can have nothing in common with them. But someone your age, I can have so much in common because there's only I could go back in time and watch older things. And that was before we had inundated with technology like crazy. Mm. Now, today, people of the same generation can't even have like cultural touchstone moments because they they're too bifurcated with all of their media consumption that they don't have any things that they share as a combined generation. Everything's like a meme that some one person did or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or th- things are changing so much quicker than they used to, that you're creating bigger generation gaps than before or quicker ones, quicker ones. And like, and, yeah. yeah, more, do you know what I mean? Like evolutionarily smaller. Yeah. 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 yeah because so like, let's say in the eighties, right. How many, TV stations were there. I don't know, maybe in the 60s, something like that. I can tell you, growing up in the UK, we had three TV stations. I remember having 13 when I was a kid with the click clack one, because uh, I'd get Jay Leno and stuff. But I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can get all the channels in like the 80s and 90s, you could maybe get 50 of them or something like that. But if you go a little bit further back, there was like three channels, to your point. And everybody was watching one of those three channels. And so if you talked about anything that happened on the Carol Burnett show or whatever, yeah. right? Got the same reference book. You, everyone would get it because you only had so many things you could watch. Now mm. you literally have difficulty finding common ground with some of the things you watch because there's so many things that you yeah. can optionally consume. Exactly. Exactly that. We, and not only that, but we physically gathered around a TV set and saw it together physically. We're sharing moments, right? Yeah. And they say... I'm, I'm embarrassed to say almost that in my house here, we've got three TV sets and we're often in three different places watching three different things. And that's not even counting the TV set in your pants. Right. And then you've got your mobile devices and yeah, <laughs> then you've got your mobile device as well. It's crazy. No wonder we're all fragmented and falling apart. Yeah. And then weirdos like me and you are reading books like this one. This one's from 1968. And there's literally nobody else reading. This is a great one. Yeah. But I'm saying. Yeah. Great book. To do to have all that media stuff and then to be going back and looking at stuff from 50 years ago or whatever and reading that. It's like it's really tough to carve out that time when you've got so many other things that could grab that. So I know that you wake up every morning you're quiet immediately, apparently. And then you read for an hour. Is that right? After you get your coffee, after you get your coffee. I read for an hour. Where did you, where did you find that out? Where did you find that out? I have my people and my resources. I have my spies. Well done. That's really detailed. I feel a bit stalked now, actually. That's absolutely right. I start every morning. You get up. You're not a morning person. You're silent. You get your coffee and then you read for one hour. Silent is a nice word. Grumpy is another word. So muffled silence. Really, really grouchy. Super grouchy. I, I literally cannot talk in the morning. I can't talk. 
You're a curmudgeon. I literally say to clients when they say, can we do an early meeting at eight? I say, no, why not? <laughs> you won't like me at eight o'clock. <laughs> You'll like me a lot better at nine. Yeah. I tell my clients that. They, they look a bit surprised. You should. But they go, okay, uh, thanks for letting me know. Yeah, yeah no problem. I, I start every day with a silent read on my big chair next to me here. And I read something oh, on my own. So I, I do the re- I do the audiobook because of the ADHD. And then I buy the book to pretend I read it. And then I find somebody who needs it and I give it to them. <laughs> I do the same. I do the same. No, I do it with the really good books. If I'm listening and it's really good, I'll buy the physical book. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a photo version of what's in my head. I love, I love. And that's what I did. That's what I did with Will, actually. I really liked his book. He writes really well. He writes really well. Okay. I might listen to it. So I did it on the, I did it on the audio and then I thought, Plus, it's very colorful and looks really nice in my library, which you can see behind me there. Can you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I do the same. So I just wait until someone, I'm like, oh, is this person read? Let me give them one of my amazing books because I know they're amazing. I just, and I'll never need the physical copy, so. Okay. Uh, maybe that's the 20-year difference between us. I cannot, there are a couple of things I cannot throw away or give away, and that's books, DVDs, I, okay, so just to reset here, I have ADHD, meaning you don't have to be, you could have ADHD at your age. It's just we found out about it. It's not like something that just got invented. So I cannot read a book. Like, it literally is useless to me. I haven't even finished this. Oh, you cannot. All right. Fucking book right here. It's 110 pages. Right. I'm on page 55. The first fucking scroll, which is love. You got to do it for 30 days. Yeah. And you cannot literally. All right. And I have not done. I've not strung together 30 days yet. So I cannot go to the next one. <laughs> I just can read a whole page and be like, what did I just, I, I looked at every word, but I didn't get any of it. So I need to have the author read it to me. It's great that the authors read it. You know, it's awesome because they mm. get to convey it in their own way. Mm. If you haven't read Drowning Quietly, I would suggest you read it as audiobook form. Have you done that? I haven't done it yet. I'm, um, come on. I'm never going to read your book. I know, I know. People have said, listen, <laughs> I will, I will. No, no, no. I will, I will. To be really honest with you, uh, I've only just released the damn thing. I just want to see how it, if people really latch onto it. I want pe- I really want people to read it, N- not because I want to become rich and famous. It really isn't that. I want them to really read it. There's a message in there, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a message about failure, and it's a message about being a man and seeing yourself through the eyes of women. I chose that as the medium. I think that's all stuff that would resonate very much with me. And uh, I'm writing a book right now, but what I'm doing is dictating it into my phone and having AI transcribe it because I cool i can't read or write it's that's why i went in the math i mean that's why i did like excel spreadsheets and stuff because it's like that makes sense there's a definite answer you can't argue about it and also i don't have to read a ton of books about i can't even understand the point of fiction honestly why would i spend all my time reading a book of fiction when i could be learning stuff about the realities well I'm going to say, I half agree with you. I don't read fiction either. I haven't got to. I read books to do with my trade. Let's put it that way. I mm-hmm. read very little fiction. But um, I think I just got a shit imagination when it comes to the reading a book and putting in my imagination. I'm saying like a movie. No, 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 no. It's just another, it's just another way. Of, does it better for me? It's a film, isn't it? It's a film in words. Fiction yeah. is films in words. I prefer to watch the films, the movies. Me too, yeah. Of course. I'm a visual person. Because I got to listen to somebody tell me the book. I can't listen to them tell me and watch the movie. Um, so, I, you know, I can't do, but I can't even read the book. But if you think about it, 
But think about it, when they started writing fiction, they didn't have all, they didn't have visual aids, they didn't have TVs, they didn't have, they had a bit of art, but that was the way you did it, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, what I, what I like to say is besides writing a book with a paper and pen, podcasting is pretty much the lowest form of technology. I mean, you really only need the audio. So you, know, you could be in the same physical location, have no internet and talk to each other. But so besides a book, there's not a whole high barrier to entry in terms of podcasting either. Just like you, anybody can write a book. Mm. The tough part is having anything worthwhile to put into a book mm. or to say on a podcast, mm. that's more difficult than the actual technology piece. Yeah. When you go to like movies and stuff, then you got, that's, that's got both storytelling and all the technology pieces, but at least books and podcasts in my mind are pretty low tech in terms of what they are, but what you can do with it is the impressive thing. You know? And you mentioned something really important. You got to have something worthwhile to put in it, right? There's another, it took me ages to write my book because quite frankly, I didn't think there was anything in there that was worth reading. That's what most people writing a book think. Yeah. And then one day I shared it with somebody who really knows about, but it really is, it really is a book. Mm-hmm. Connoisseur, he used that French word, really. And she just wrote back immediately and said, you got to write more, man. You got to do more of this. I look back at that and think, you know, why was I so, where does that doubt come from all the time? Where does that doubt come from? Because I should just say, I should just have more. It's innate. It's like the imposter syndrome that we all feel when we're doing anything that's out of our comfort zone kind of thing. Yeah, and I've never understood the imposter syndrome properly. No one's ever given me a really good explanation for why we get it. I gotcha. Oh, come on. Let's hear it. I think. I mean, I'm going to now have imposter syndrome trying to explain it. Yeah. I'm more, tell me. Essentially, so... I'll use my own experiences. I went to business school, undergrad, and then I got my master's in business. Mm-hmm. When I picked accounting as a as a uh, field of study, I did not even know what accounting meant at the mm-hmm. time, just because I was like hadn't been explained to me enough. So by the time I figured out mm-hmm. what it was, at the end, I hated accounting because I realized it was the most boring thing possible in terms of like it was all historical stuff. Mm-hmm. No one ever congratulate them, et cetera, et cetera. So then mm. I'm in a job as an accountant doing accounting. And so I'm, I'm not liking mm. what I'm doing. I started out as an auditor. Auditors go to other people's companies and tell them what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And so they don't want me to be there. I don't want to mm. be there. I'm doing a job I don't want to do. So, and I got to pretend like I like it or add on to that. I got to, I'm from Boston and they love sports. Like it's going on a style. So I got to pretend like I like sports in order to fit in. Mm. So mm. I'm imposter guy. Most of the time I'm masking, I'm masking a lot. Yeah. Because you're pretending to be someone you're not. Yes. So yeah. You're pretending to be someone you're not, but. But a lot of people have to do that first before they can be the thing and really rely on it. So you'll be, if you're a boss at a company for the first time ever and managing people, you literally will feel like you're an imposter because you've never done that. And so you got to do it first and right. and then learn in order to get better at it and then feel like you actually, so I think, I think for me. Okay. Fair enough. But I've written, I've written before. Yeah. Well, you're also just have negative self-limiting beliefs about your worth. Where does that come from? Well, I think cause people like me and you who are, and I'm going to be offending somebody smart. We're smart. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've eventually accepted the fact that I'm smart. And when everyone keeps telling me how smart I am, Eventually, I'm like, fine, fuck it. All right, sure. <laughs> I believe it. I'll, I'll believe it. Yeah, fine. But I got to be like in the top 1% of anything before I start bragging about being able to do it. So I think writing a book, since anybody could be a book author, you know, someone, someone who writes a book, mm-hmm. you might think I haven't 
graduated into that group of people yet, not realizing that the only way to graduate into it is by writing a book. Hmm. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm digesting what you're saying. You're right, actually. I, had to, I know I can communicate. I know I can write. Of course, you're getting paid a lot of money to communicate in less time. <laughs> getting paid a lot of money to do it as well, right? Uh, and it's, I know how to formulate. I know how to paint pictures with words. I know how to do that. And yet, yeah. but here's the thing. I get the thing about the self-negative talk that applies to me, but I've seen imposter syndrome also in people who haven't had that self-negative talk. They've grown up really healthy and wholesome, and yet they still have the, that's where I get confused. What's going- that's your perception of what they feel from the outside, but a lot of people. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you know how like uh, people who are, seemingly hyper-confident and everything are really full of insecurities or the most openly anti-gay people are usually having sex with the same sex in the background, mm. meaning because they don't like themselves. And so they're putting on a different mask, which is going to be the opposite version type of thing. So you might be perceiving them as being put together and well-maintained or whatever, but maybe the in order to present that, you have to be like- Yeah, like the soldier in American beauty. A social anxiety mask or something like that to, to, yeah. to do that. Meaning I have no idea, but I know that if, if you're getting paid to go around and talk, essentially take a book from your mouth and put, say it to people in smaller and smaller formats and getting paid ridiculous amounts of money, that compared to some mother in the middle of a country who's writing a book about being a mom, why would she think she has anything? Like she's got literally no metrics to point to of people caring or, or listening or paying them to do anything. You've got all the things you like literally could go, okay, what are the things you need to be an author? And I've got this, I've got that, but you still can't convince yourself because you haven't done it yet. Really. I think it's probably what it is. Have you ever considered being a coach, a life coach? Absolutely. Yeah. Those who can't do teach, right? I, I feel really life coached right now. Yeah. I feel, uh, seriously. Yeah. That what you just said now is really, uh, and I love the expression. I've just taken the book out of my mouth. <laughs> What is it you said? Because that's all it is. Yeah. Well, because I'm writing a book through my mouth, so that's how I'm viewing it. But either way, it's just words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And and so read a book. If if I tell you to read any book, and you read all sorts of books, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamont is a book about writing. And one of the things she says is 100 words a day and shitty first drafts. Yeah, I have one of those. Right? And so, and then to find somebody you trust to read those shitty first drafts and give you actual feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how vital it is. Because I, re- I had a really shitty first draft. Yeah. I've still got it. I've still got it. I keep it. Actually, I've got it. That's awesome. On fire. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. See, this is why I'd be a great coach. I can take all the advice in. I cannot follow it myself, but I can dole it out like it's going out of style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I cannot make change Listen. in my own life. <laughs> no. But I would feel good making change in other people's lives, which would then make change in my life. You know? Which is essentially what I do on stage as well. I, I basically, I see, I change people's, uh, you know. Yeah, you're doing that. You're doing that like in, a, instead of one-on-one or one-on-ten, or it's like one-on-3,000 yeah. on or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Smaller numbers here in Norway. I remember when I booked you for this, you're like, okay, I got to go. I'm going up on stage to do a speech. I'm like, what are you talking to me for? What are you <laughs> like? <laughs> Go, go get on stage then or whatever. But that's how comfortable you are or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is a bit like that. Yeah, it is a bit like that. Do you have to distract yourself before you go on stage or do you, have, or do you try to live in the, in the moment of, because you said you still get fear. 
going up on stage you're not like comfortable with it yeah 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 i still get nervous before state absolutely i do get it doesn't take me long to get in the zone but i have to get in a zone yeah but um okay so yeah what's your method for getting in the zone for people who want to steal your method yeah yeah for getting in the zone first of all it's all about authenticity you have to be yourself so i'm not going to pretend to be anyone else i never have and i never will that is such a powerful tool being yourself Mm -hmm. oh we talked about it a little bit before the podcast yeah you know what if you're trying to pretend to be someone else that you're not that's gonna that's gonna make you sick yep do that for enough years you're gonna become sick ill possibly cancer so that's what i was saying is that each yeah, each of my jobs that i got fired from yeah i felt like i was a different person at the job than i was at home so i was i was acting yeah, that's gonna make you sick yeah exactly there's a big dissonance in your own head between what you're absolutely doing during the day and then when you get home you're exhausted from all this posturing and everything like which, that yeah which by the way is what a lot of people who are caught up in the, the whole social media instagram world do yes and that's it's made for that they don't realize it the dopamine hits are like to keep you in it right yeah yeah that is not good for you that's one thing first i, just, I know i'm going to be myself secondly I breathe. I do a lot of breathe. Just breathe in oh, deep breaths. Good. Oxygen to the brain. And thirdly, this is my special one. I say to myself every single time, it's just a fucking presentation, which is an attempt to put it all into perspective in the big picture of life. Yeah. You with me? Fuck it. We'll do it live. I don't take it lightly. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I'm out there to do a job and I'm going to do a great job. But of course, in the big picture of life, it's just a fucking presentation. You gotta not worry. That's all it is. You're battling worry at that moment. So it's like, right? Don't worry, it's all good. There's another trick you can do, I've been told, because I've to try to get over my fear of flying, is that yeah, your body recognizes the response to worry and fear the same it does excitement. So if you can trick yourself into being excited with that physical sensation rather than scared, you will eventually start being excited. And so if you're, for example, giving a speech and you have to say, fuck it, it's just a presentation. If instead you can go, I can't yeah. wait to give this presentation or whatever, trick your mind into start looking at those, you know, the sweaty palms, all those other things are same things with excitement. Yeah. They call that reframing. I think. Yeah. yeah. You just reframe it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Just a little well, twist. cause also the physiological responses are pretty much the same when you're, cause a lot of times you're dealing with fear when you're like mountain biking or something like that and going on a really intense ride, but you're excited. Yeah, and, and physiologically, it's pretty similar. Yeah. It's pretty similar, right? Because it's a fight or flight kind of response. And here's one thing that blew my mind recently. I learned about stress, for example. We, you know, you're stressed out, and you're always being told to calm down. No. The stress response, right, is your body getting geared up to fight or flight. You need to go and fight, punch a boxing bag, or go for a run or something. Yeah, get some energy out. Yeah, you need to get the energy out, Yeah. That was mind blowing for me. I never realized it's so obvious when I heard it. It's so obvious. No, don't calm down. Go and run or go and punch a bag or a pillow. Or Yeah. But if you're not, if you're yeah. someone like me who doesn't ever punch anything or go to the gym, I think I've gone to the gym maybe a cumulative five hours of my life. So I don't think, oh, I'm stressed out. Let me go work out. I'm like, let me go do anything else. But I'll take my dog for a walk, which is similar, you know? Something to clear your head and change your environment. Walking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, definitely about it. For me, it's all about authenticity. And I, and 
What does that even mean? So how do you authentically be yourself while still not, you can't be 100% authentic. So where do you draw the line? I am. I genuinely am. When I go on stage, I am myself. I'm just wearing a jacket. Seriously. I okay. kid you not. You can ask anyone. But just a moment ago, you said, um, fuck it, it's a presentation. Then I could tell you had to then correct yeah. in case anybody who's going to pay you is listening so that they don't think you're not taking it seriously. No, 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 no. no. I, I swear. As well. It was a correcting. I mean, it wasn't not authentic, but it was you realize what you said might indicate something else, whatever. So it's like a very deep move of just correcting what you're saying. Well, the swearing, part, the swearing, part. but I'm saying there's, there's, there is a weird line where you can't be too authentic without going off script and off topic and being useless to the people that are paying you. I mean, there's always an element of social awareness. So if I go to a wedding, if I go to so take, so it, it might feel authentic, but it still takes a lot of work. No, hang on a sec. Well, hear me out. Hear me out, Ben. If you go to a wedding, yeah, go ahead. If you go to a wedding. There are certain things you do and don't do. You don't, you don't, you don't comment on the bride's dress, which doesn't really look that cool, actually. For example, right? You don't do that. You don't when it, when it, when when they say if there's anyone who has any reason to, you know, not wish, wish this to happen. They don't even say that anymore. I'm pretty sure. Cause I'm, I'm always waiting to. <laughs> but let's say they did that. Let's say they did that. At that point, you don't <laughs> fart. All right. You don't fart. You don't do that. You've got to have a little bit of social. Or you don't say, no, you shouldn't get married. <laughs> even though that's the time to do it. But I guess the point is. Yeah. You don't do it a four weddings and a funeral thing. There no. is some base authenticityness that is more of a social construct that we have to buy into that allows us to do the authentic thing. That's what I'm saying. So like you're peeling back as many layers as you're allowed to. Yeah. All I right. Guess. I'll, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. But I'm peeling back a lot of layers. And more than the typical person for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't go out there and pretend I'm something that I'm not. I'll tell you what, Here's another authentic. That's why I wrote about it. two things I do in my book. I write about my background because I'm never embarrassed to talk about my background, my parents, where they really come from. I'm quite educated. Mm-hmm. Plus, I was raised in the south of the UK, which means I have a kind of a nice posh British accent, which can be very helpful sometimes, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. You instantly sound quite intelligent. People think you're intelligent without any proof. Correct. You just sound intelligent, right? Like Prince Charles. Absolutely, yeah. You check him out. No offense to the monarchy, but you know their education isn't the. You know they're not that academic. All right. Pick Boris. It doesn't matter who it is, but yeah. But I do that in the book. I'm not. I'm never embarrassed about my background, and also I swear in the book. I use swear words a lot. Why? Because I swear in real life. Why? Not because I want to impress people, but I am a linguist by trade, Mm -hmm. and swear words are language, and if used well, are really effective. I told you the book I was going to write was going to be called The Power of Fucking Up. There you go. Meaning I'm I'm on board with it. Not everybody else in the world is, but that is their problem. <laughs> so I use those words a lot because that's how we speak, right? And um, yes, I even use the C word. Mm, that's that's how about that one? And I've yeah. had reactions to that already. People the, the editors said whenever you can't say the word and you have to say the the, the letter of it and the word word. You know, you're in danger, Bill. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, yeah. Right. And the, the publisher said, do you have to use the C word here? I said, yeah. Why? 
So I wrote an explanation for why I had to use the C word. And they said, why don't you put that in the book? So I did put a paragraph on why I'm using the C word here. If you're a reader reacting to the C word right now, this is why I used it. All right. Trigger warning. I'm about to say the word. Go for it. Cunt. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care. I mark all my episodes as explicit, even if they don't, even if I don't swear. But my point is I've never said that word on here and you still haven't said that word on here. Now I'm the only one who said it. <laughs> no, well, there you go. <laughs> Which is fine. I don't mind it at all. But what's your explanation in the book for why you use it? Well, I describe I used the word to describe a teacher of mine who was a sadist and 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 was really sadistic in his punishment of the kids, me included. Mm-hmm which happened on the same day that a horrible event happened at home and the two were connected. So you're like, I don't care if people misunderstand and extremely use the most extreme version of it because this person was so bad that it was so bad. There is no other word. That is the only word to describe this person. And and the publishers even said, you need a a release form from that person because you mentioned him. I said, I don't want one. I want him to come out in public and try and sue me. Be great. I'd love that. Yeah, I don't think he will. Since when do you have to have all the assholes agree that they're assholes before you'd say that? So that was the only word. And you can I probably sense I'm getting I'm getting a little bit angry now just talking about the guy. And I was not alone. He did this to a lot of people. And it was not cool, man. There was nothing sexual involved. None of that. He was just a sadist, man. Yeah. He loved hurting people, probably because he had a really hard, sad life himself. But that doesn't excuse mm-hmm. the punishment inflicted on young boys. I know. And what I hate is that even right in that moment, the cunt. <laughs> I like that you said it there. Yeah. But even right in that moment, <laughs> you still tried to see it through his eyes and he would never do that with anybody. No. You know? Yeah. So that's why you're going to win and he's going to lose or he already lost whoever he is. Yeah. 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 Because he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he was a coward deep down, actually. He was a damaged coward and he would never come out and take me on anyway. You know, bring it on, man. I'm into it. Go for it. But I don't think he ever would if he's still alive. Well, there's this guy and his family. So if you know who Seth Godin is, author, does a lot of marketing books. He he yeah. has a podcast called Akimbo. He talks about this guy who basically was Isaac Newton before Isaac Newton or around the same time as Isaac Newton. Oh, all right. But he just made it into a big pissing contest and then became the cunt guy that you're talking about. And now okay. history does not care about him at all. And he just tried to talk shit about Isaac Newton the whole time. Whereas then Isaac Newton, everybody knows who he is. And this other guy who could have been more collaborative and whatnot and had his name in the history books is now written off like a jackass because of how he treated whatever scarcity of knowledge or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, because there really is. And I don't know, maybe he had a point. Maybe the guy was stealing some stuff, but either way, you're not going to get anywhere by just talking shit. I mean, the whole there's time. no excuse for for damaging people like that. The one-off thing that you do, because we're all flawed. Yeah. Fair enough. But a systematic approach to other people, Mm -hmm. that's not on, man. Yeah. So that's why I use the word. And they went with it. They said, that's a great, I get it now and fine. And it's in that book. I wish. Four times, I think. I wish. Yeah. (laughs) I wish it was somehow tied to some medical condition, like narcissistic personality disorder or something where they would tie that word in so it was acceptable to use. (laughs) For some in-group or something like that. But uh, no offense to all the narcissists listening. I'm sure there are plenty. Common, unintelligible, neurological trauma. There you go. See you, NT. You like that? <laughs> that was that? good, yeah. No, I liked it a lot. It's good, eh? Not bad. <laughs>
Yeah, I think language is so powerful. Why would we limit ourselves to not using some of the some of the more fun words that we do use? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're like a, a nice mother, grandmother or something, you don't swear, don't write a book with swears in it. But if, why do we have to censor ourselves? Yeah, right? why? In our own books. <laughs> in our own, yeah, good point. In my own fucking book, yeah. This is my podcast. We can say whatever the hell we want. <laughs> yeah, it's my fucking book. I'm going to write. If you don't want, if you don't like it, don't read it. Yeah. All right? No. Feel free to return it or whatever. <laughs> Who cares? I'll give your money back if... Cause it's not for you, you know, or yeah, I'll go in and cross the words out and put fricking instead or flipping yeah. in the UK, flipping, give them a pen that they can uh, edit yeah. it with the book. <laughs> but who knows? But it is weird. Cause you feel like even if it's your own thing, you feel like you can and can't do certain things, even in your own carved out space, you know, mm. because mm. your publishers are telling you, or just common decency is telling you something or, or it's a tool that is at your disposal that works really well, but you're not letting yourself use it, right? That's the other way. Because the sound of the words, they're really hard and harsh. They, mm-hmm. They're perfect. Just like a songwriter, the wor- a great songwriter doesn't just pick any old word. They, it's the sound, the shape of the words, yep. poets, rappers. Comedians, too. There's, you know, the best of the best. They know exactly what they're doing with those sounds, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's just the only thing that fits. It's a, it's the perfect tool for the job. So why would you deny yourself that perfect tool? It's it's a good point. And, the, and there's some of the best words, like a good fuck, if you say it right, is <laughs> got so much bite yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing quite like it, especially because it's reserved in that special area of language. Right. Reminds me of the old uh, Eddie Murphy stand-up from the 80s. I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah? Raw, delirious. Now, he's doing this sketch where the difference between um, whether your woman wants you to make love to her or whether she wants you to fuck her. God, we're going down this alley. I'm, I think, I'm feeling like we're going down a road, an alley that we shouldn't be doing. I'm wondering whether you're going to edit this stuff out there. But I like when people don't care. I mean, they both push the envelope, but then also... Do it in an intelligent way that makes you think and isn't just for shock value. Yeah, right. Because then you're like, oh, okay, right. that was good usage. Yeah, no, there's no shock value. No, yeah, that's a really good point. I never use the word as shock value. Never, ever, ever. It's always a, I've just looked it up in my manuscript here. Mm-hmm. The, the fuck appears on 35 pages of a. <laughs> you said four. No, that was the, that was cunt. You want me to look up how many times I say that? All right. Oh, I thought that's what you just said. Yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. You're saying fuck. All right. I got it. Okay. Yeah. No. Four times. Three times I use cunt, and I and I make up my own um, adjective, cuntish. I don't even know if that's a word actually. So the fourth one is that one. Okay. Yeah. I like that though. I think cunty is what I would say, but I don't know if there's a there's a the official. Yeah, yeah, there's lots of things, but the point is, I'm I'm convinced, I'm I'm absolutely convinced that it's the only word to use. And when I use, I don't use any words lightly, and they're never put in there just for shock value. Yeah, just like just like Tarantino scripts when they first appeared, mm-hmm. they were shocking to people. Yeah, but that's how people speak. Yeah. That's how people, a lot of people speak like that. At least the characters in my movies speak like that, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what makes them authentic. But that was shocking stuff when that first came out. Pulp, pulp Fiction and all the, there was a lot of, wow, this is really raw. You know, the way they talk, it's so real. Mm-hmm. 
It's so, I, I really feel these dialogues. They're real dialogues. Brilliant. I think we went through like a whole journey in the history of film where when it started, people were not acting like normal people at all. Like if you watch like mm. It's a Wonderful Life or whatever from back in the day, there'll mm. be a lot of what seems to be overacting like a real human yeah. being or whatever. Yeah. So then yeah. they yeah. eventually get to the point where they're actually acting like real people. And they're like, oh shit, we should add in the, the like bad stuff that people do, <laughs> you know, on top of it. And they're like, oh, this is brilliant now. <laughs> do you know what I'd like to see? You got me thinking. Do you know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see a modern swearing version of Wizard of Oz, which is one of my favorite films. That would be so cool. I don't know, but you know, songs like, but then they wouldn't, you would you'd struggle to get the lyrics in the songs, you know, follow the yellow brick road, you know, follow uh, the fucking yellow brick road, follow the, it wouldn't quite. Now you could do like a, the, it's a wonderful life. You could do, <laughs> it's a fucking terrible life or something. I don't know, but <laughs> where there's less songs and it's more about. Oh, darn. Oh, darn. You know, <laughs> doing a redo, but in today's, whatever's culturally acceptable or not, but that'd be, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> But also when you listen to people talking, generally, I'm not saying everybody swears. I'm not saying everybody should swear either. Yeah. Everyone has their own patter, right? Their own thing. But when you start listening to people, uh, I do a lot of listening to people and watching. There's a lot of swearing out there because it's part of language. It always has been and it always will be. When you're not being recorded. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Right. People, once people know something's being recorded, you know, they're they're looking out for what they're saying and what's going to be used against them, you know, in the future, just because you might sound like an ass when they're off the record or they're just chatting or whatever. Mm. Like, apparently mm. me and you don't mind being off the record all the time while being on the mm. record. But mm. I'm more making sure that what I say comes across. Well, I don't care if I swear or whatever, you know, things like that, because I'm not exactly. trying to hide that oh, part yeah. of me. But at the same time, I exactly. don't usually swear on here unless it's necessary. It's it's like relevant because I'm not going to also just be swearing all the time, even if I do it all the time because, regularly, because it's not a great way to approach life from a uh, talking to yourself standpoint, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think I should I, th I think I should sort of mention to the listeners that it's not like I wake up in the morning and go, oh, what a fucking brilliant morning. It's not that's not how I am. Yeah, but I'm not. I will use it in an appropriate setting because it is part of language. Yeah. You just don't like your hands being tied behind your back when you're going to a fight. <laughs> you have a tool at your disposal that can do exactly what you need it to do, but you feel like yeah, you're not yeah, allowed yeah. to use it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But now that's why I look at stuff like this. So like podcasts, as far as I know, I, I no one can stop me from, I mean, the hosting company no. can stop me but then I could change hosting companies. Like, hmm. whereas most forms of media, I mean, even your book publisher could tell you to go fuck off if they didn't like what you wrote. But if you're publishing it yourself, mm. Mm. there's probably less that they can do. I Meaning, the more you own all the rights to everything and the more you're the sole person involved, like I edit this, produce it. And even on IMDb, I'm the actor. I act as failure guy. I'm not. Yeah, it's not yeah. me. Point is, I can get acting credit for it. I guess it's really the other point. Yeah, yeah. But and you'll be you'll get an IMDb credit for it for being on the show. I only realized that like a three months ago that you can start putting podcasts on there and stuff like that. So it's like, it's pretty. If somebody told me, I only learned that recently too, actually. I guess it makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm, I'm director, I'm producer, I'm editor. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. And then <clears throat> some of the people so I like interviewed Vinny Potestivo, he recently won an Emmy, but he also deals with the very high level celebrities and stuff. And so he's used to being around those type of people. And so he's got a very good bullshit detector for people 
where does that bullshit detector come from? Whereas mine's not that well refined yet, you know? I can still be duped. He's now has his own podcast and he's happy to control what is or isn't said on his own thing because he felt like for a long time he mm. probably couldn't and you can say whatever you want. So your book, I'm glad that you're at least convincing them to let you keep stuff in. That's what you want to say, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Not all of it, because I've also listened to their professional expertise. They're good at what they do as well, right? So you got they it's not only doing this is what makes you a good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guys are really good. Smart person. They made my book really good. <laughs> I've said that already many times about it. I'll say it here too. I have to say that. They did a great job. Yeah. When they sent me back the first edit, I was like, this is great, man. Did I write this? <laughs> <laughs> You know, without actually changing anything, they just sort of reordered it. Yeah. It was just really cool, yeah? It was really cool. Like a good film editor. I know, because they understand, like, the, the you know, building up tension and releasing it and all that stuff. When we're just like, oh, we the story happened like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. It was great. So we'll tell yeah. it our way. And then they're like, oh, it would be Absolutely. much better if you, whatever, tease all these little pieces and then. It- yeah, yeah, they were great at that. Really good. You know, back to you, what you do, I'm just thinking now, you're making me think, what you do is actually really, is a privilege, it's quite rare. Most people don't get the opportunity in their working life mm-hmm. to control as much of their working life as you and I do, actually. Well, I had to deal with corporate fucking politics forever and corporate America. I'm so sick of it and I, I couldn't say anything. Right, right, right. Something. Can you imagine working for... Apple right now. You're not allowed to say anything in public. I worked for MTV Networks and which is owned by Viacom, which is like one of the biggest fucking. And that's where Vinny also used to work. So we we've, I would come up with these amazing spreadsheets and say how much money we're gonna make. He's like, that one needs to be two million more in that year or whatever. I'm like, I just had like a big lies lies page where all the lies they put in that made my shit totally useless after all that time I put into it. It was like called New York Lies. Kidding me? Because it's like. Just tell me what you wanted to say. I could have done that from the beginning. I, I didn't know I had to. If there was a number in mind, just let me know. I'll make the math works. Yeah. It's all, I'm not a psychic. I can't tell you what we're going to make five years from now. So if you wanted to be a certain number, just tell me that and I'll make it that. Cause I'm just, I do the math if we did this, that, and the other thing. But once it's in a spreadsheet, people are like, okay, good. So it's done. And I'm like, no, you got to go f- sell the thing. You got to go do all the things. Mm. You know, mm. it's just me. I'm not a psychic. I can't tell you how much you're going to sell unless you go sell it. And yet quite a lot of men do that between themselves when they're together. Mm-hmm. That kind of, what, what's the word for that? That kind of um, gamesmanship, I think they call it, you know, what one upmanship trying to be, you know, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. And yeah, you know, that pressure to sort of be, you, 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 you know what you're doing. You're sus. The British word is sus. What's that in American English? You, you know what you're doing. You fig, you figured it out. Mm-hmm. You've got this, and you end up with this one-upmanship. Oh, yeah. Which men do a lot, elbowing. They don't even realize they do it. But you can get much further by not doing that, by yeah. helping each other out and things like that. But we don't realize that till much later on, typically. Because uh, we, we well, play I was going to say, that's an age thing, actually. As you get older, mm-hmm. you understand that, well, first of all, it's too late now. <laughs> For me, yeah. it's like, I am what I am. It's too late anyway to get to go up any corporate whatever ladder. And you just sort of start being yourself a bit more. Yeah, well, I realized they're never going to promote me above being the Excel guy because once I'm oh, right. out of the software, I'm useless to them because I'm not a good manager of people. No. I, they keep me where I was. But similarly, I learned in 
basically through being ultra competitive when it comes to board games, how useless that is. Even if you win, you lose because you just look like a giant asshole. And if you lose, you lose because you're pissed off that you didn't win. So like that stupid microcosm of what board games do to me and the competitiveness there and the one-upmanship, I was like, why am I doing any of this? I lose no matter what happens and none of this matters. Take that exact same thing and apply to most of life. And why would we do it? I don't even know. I don't even know why people like sports. They're not even from Boston. They're from wherever getting paid millions of dollars, you know? Well, here's something. Here's something for you then, right? I don't know if you know about this, but the general, the general sort of rationale and thinking mindset of Norwegian schools, mm-hmm. first of all, they don't grade kids until they're 13. Love it. Don't grade people. And it's not, it's not like they go around loving losing, you know, oh, let's learn how to lose today. It's not that. That's what people think I do, just trying to fuck up a bunch. No, of no, no, no. It's got nothing to do that. <laughs> But they're just, they're just taught to collaborate more, work in groups. And the whole philosophy of school is, you know, we are competing together, but we win together and we lose together. And it's a really, I didn't get it at first, actually. Yeah. Coming from the UK, the UK is just the light version of the US. Mm-hmm. We think like you, but we're just the lighter. I didn't get it. I thought they were just stupid. And more intelligent sounding. <laughs> I didn't say that, but... Uh... <laughs> You said earlier, at least the British accent doesn't. I did actually say that, didn't I? <laughs> but I'll say it too, because it's true. I mean, we do give it credence yeah. and like yeah. authority. We do. Yeah. yeah. But uh, here in Norway, it's all about collaborating, winning together, losing together. Uh, and they're pretty good at it. You know, and they do it by not grading people. Don't grade people until they're yeah. psychologically robust enough to take that. No, because you can look at that as like potentially traumatic experience. Pass, right? fail, right? I mean, if you didn't pass, you failed, right? And therefore, oh no, I hate math now. A lot of people hate math and stuff because they yeah, right. Were Bullshit. whatever, yeah. So I don't have that much time. <laughs> I can see my thing saying in eight minutes. I have another interview with somebody, so I'm going to cut to the okay, okay. Last two questions because there's two questions, and we'll tell people where to go, and okay. we can do this another time and do another one. I'm I don't want to end it, but I have to. It's seven minutes now. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. We were just talking about board games. So being a guest on the show, you get a get out of fail free card. So I'm going to hand you this. This is like nothing even like a card, but here I'm going to hand it through. You got to grab it. Okay, get it. Yeah. Grab it through the Zoom. Love it. Got it. Okay, cool. So just like Monopoly, the get out of jail free card, get out of fail free card. This is what you can use to, you can either theoretically go back in time or you can use it now. I don't care, but to pursue a hobby or a passion or a thing that you didn't do because of the amount of failure was involved earlier. We talked about stand up comedy and how, how tough that would be, but maybe that's not even something you wanted to do. Is there something that you, if you had this card, this get out of fail free card, I wish I'd done it. I wish I'd done it, but I didn't. It could be that, or you'd still might do it now if you are still currently scared of it, like writing a book, but you've gotten past that. But like, if you wanted to be a Broadway star or a actor, I don't care. I would maybe be working out who knows, but if you couldn't fail, using this card, what is something you would pursue because of the amount of failure probably baked into it? Do you know, first of all, I'm going to disappoint you because I'm fortunate enough that I actually did live out most of my dreams. But one thing I wish I'd known more about that I hadn't failed is knowing more about the shit we put in our mouths. Ah. Food. See, I, I know I can conceptually know, but I still do the wrong thing all the time. So I'm going to regret it too. No, I, I'm much, I'm a much better eater, man, because just the crap we put in our mouths mm-hmm. that which is a whole whole nother broad, uh, podcast about the food industry 
Yeah. So you'd use it historically to eat better food or just? Yeah, historically to eat better food. I was lucky that I had an Italian family. So by definition, a lot of the food I ate at home was good. And you even had tomatoes in the in the garden. Tomatoes and yeah. But going on the road and stuff, you, you try and eat healthily on the road. It's a big... Oh, yeah. So that's one thing I wish I'd done. Another thing I wish I'd done, I wish I'd gone to anger management classes. Yes. I really do. I need that now. You just, you're 20 years older. Just tell me what I need to do. So I need to eat better. Anger management. You need to sort it out, man. No, seriously. I'm saying I got 20 year head start on you now. I know you don't read. Listen, I'm going to go and do an audio version of my book because I wanted to read it because I talk about anger in it and how I dealt with it badly. You got to do an audio book version. It won't take you that long. Then I'll read it. Yeah, it's just a day, isn't it? Then I'll read it. <laughs> you'll read it you'll, with your ears. You'll read it with your ears. Yeah, my earballs. Did it, I answer your question? I think I answered it, yeah? I think so. I think so. Meaning there's no right answer. You're not going to disappoint me because I literally have no expectations of, as long as you answer it. No, no I don't want to. I mean, you know, I mean, I played it. I played in a band. I traveled the world. I went biking to crazy, but I did loads of really cool things yeah. in my life. There are a lot of things in my life I don't. Most people like you choose something more mundane and the thing that they want to be good at because they yeah. neglected their own body or for example or whatever it is yeah in favor of those other things so and i think that makes total sense and this yeah. kind of pairs with it so what's the next big thing you're going to fail at i don't say fake it till you make it i say fail it till you nail it so what's the next thing you're going to keep working towards and pushing yourself out of the comfort zone until you get unbelievable at it i don't know if i answer it but one thing i know i can get much better at is being a is being a better husband actually good one so you're picking all self-actualization things, high high up on the Maslow hierarchy of needs things. Oh, gee, that is a work in progress, man. And I've been married 25 years. But those are the good problems to to attack. Yeah, yeah. They say a problem, a life without problems is not a life. It's a boring life. So we need some major problems to try and fix, yeah. right? And fail at them. Plus, those are the those are the big ones. I mean, like you're getting to like the real, the real deep stuff, no longer surface levels. So that's good. Yeah, but it's the stuff that keeps you awake at night often. I, There's a reason it's called deep, because it's it's inside you. It, it kind of unsettles you, right? I mean, I've sort of struggled with insomnia most of my life, so I what keeps me up at night, I don't know. But I also don't know what puts me to bed at night. So I got to do better things with that, too. So I'm going to write down health and sleep. I got to get I just got to trick myself into sleeping more because I don't do it. Oh, you must you. Have you listened? I can't say, have you read? Have you listened to, who's the sleep guy again? What's his name? Who wrote Why We Sleep? Now, listen, you've got to, if there's one book you've got to read. Why We Sleep, I've, I've been told, but tell me it again. Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Okay. Listen to that, and I promise you, you're, you're sort out your sleep. Okay. I can, I'll put that right next on my list. I'm reading a book on meditation right now, because I'm trying to get into that game as well. I'll read the sleep book first. Sleep book first, Matthew Walker. In the last two minutes that I have before this other thing, where can people find you? Where do you want to send people to go to check out what you're working on? Yeah. What are the uh, areas that you're found on the internet or where can people go to consume your content? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, go, first of all, go to Amazon and get the book. That's the only place you can get it. All right. Drowning quietly. Drowning quietly by Pellegrino Riccardi. Right. The second thing uh, you can get me on my uh, homepage, just put in Pellegrino Norway. There aren't many of us here and you'll find me. And it's not the water, nothing to do with the water. So all the pictures that come out of the water, ignore them and click on everything else. 
This is the worst call to action I've heard in a while, but that's good. <laughs> like at least the most easily misunderstood. That's great. That's great. They're like, how do I spell Pellegrino? Why am I looking up Norway? Um, but I love it because <laughs> it most people go go to this website and you're like Google these keywords and then see where it goes because it's a choose your own adventure. Yeah, and you'll find it. Maybe you'll find him. Maybe you won't. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you go to Pellegrino dash ricardi.com see nobody remembers that address that's the problem but everyone has to go to pellegrino norway i bet no one owns the without the dash buy the one without the dash have a redirect right yeah you get because you have to say dash every time you tell anybody it sucks <sighs> i've had websites had to spell every time i told somebody i hated it i realized yeah. i gotta stop doing that to myself so get dashes out of your website well, check me out on instagram which is instagram pellegrino underscore ricardi there you go check underscore <laughs> underscore but when you have a name like mine, it's crazy. I know. That's why I say to people, Google Pellegrino Norway, ignore the water, you'll find me. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but it's probably because you hate saying underscore and dash every time you mention the things. Or at least that's why it's I really annoying, Because right? I'd be like, why did I make the stupid pun into a website? It was Wi-Fi password.com, but it was wife I, like wife, I did the dishes, give me the password. I had to explain like a story to everybody when I told them, I was like, this is dumb. I got to stop doing these things. And I probably own like 70 or 80 domains. So that's my advice there. I got to go because I'm going to hop on this other one and it's going to start converting the call. Let's do something else sometime or whatever. Yeah, man. Great chat. Great talking to you. You have your own podcast. I love that. Actually, don't. Just be a guest. Hey, I'll come back and talk to you. I'll come back and talk to you, but I love it. All right. Well, we'll do round two sometime. Thank you very much. I appreciate it so much. And uh, yes, I look forward to hearing more about you and reading your book through your voice in your ears right yeah yeah absolutely i promise cool i can't wait and i i've got yeah, whatever we'll talk what's up man take care take it bye easy bye. all right you man bye. bye would you like to be more efficient productive and confident in your work at the office over 750 million people worldwide use excel yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool that's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over five hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.